This is our fifth episode five. Episode five. I'm Josh Landers from J Landers Brass in New York City, joined here with Steve Johnson from Virtuosity in Boston. Tonight we're going to spice things up a little bit different, and we have on uh, an old friend and client, amazing trumpet player, uh, someone I've known for 20 years now, uh, Rashawn Ross. Uh, for those of you who don't know about Rashawn, Rashawn is one of the most sought after, versatile working trumpet players that I know. His musical uh, genres that he's played with and artists, everything from funk to jazz to rock to pop, soul, Latin, calypso music, gospel, country music. I mean, he has really done everything. Uh, Rashawn has played with Lettuce, Soul Live, DJ Quick. The Fugees, Maceo Parker, Stevie Wonder, Questlove, Common, um, Willie Nelson, Roy Hargrove, just so many people uh, record uh, all the time in the studio and also is working very hard on tour and a member of the Dave Matthews Band. Uh, Rashawn joined the Dave Matthews Band in 2005 and has been a member of the band and a permanent fixture touring on the road with them uh, for, you know, many years of tours recording sessions um and all sorts of wonderful things so thank you rashawn for joining us this evening thanks for having me yeah, yeah. pleasure so uh we're gonna we're gonna take him through a few different topics here but uh we want to start with uh first segment being kind of the ins and outs of the industry as a brass player and how we manage life on the road and in the studio what the differences are there and then shift to focus to a little bit of talk about the the future of the music industry or you know where it's at where we're going what do we see for trends uh and then we'll open it up for some from some questions here we're looking forward to this this is really great good to see you again Rashawn. i'm here josh should we jump right in yeah man let's let's go right into it steve you want to you want to start off uh yeah sure the first little bit of some of the ins and outs yeah. so first of all can you maybe take us through you know how you got involved with your current, I mean, I mean, Dave Matthews Band is is the one I assume you're doing the most touring with. These obviously, you're you're on the road with it. Yeah, them. I mean, that's I can sit. That's my day job. Like, that is home base. How did that all kind of come together, and then maybe kind of take us through what what your what your gig entails? Uh, how that came together is, I mean, I guess, um, you know, it, it has to do a lot with relationships. You know, I think that's something that is not talked about when people are talking about, you know, I get the question, or how do you become, or how do you, like, get to where you are? And I'm just like, man, I think maybe 30% of it had to do with music. <laughs> the rest of it was relationships and networking and, you know, how you treat people and how people how you interact with people in a business setting. So, you know, Dave Matthews Band came about, long story short, I was in a few opening bands in one summer in 2003, I think it was, you know, between Soul Live Lettuce and the first band that I was in, uh, Yerba Buena, which my good buddy Ron Blake from SNL pulled me into, and I was replacing Roy Hargrove in that band. And it was like a really eclectic band. And we opened, you know, for Dave Matthews Band, first show was like State College, Pennsylvania. And 
I was just warming up in the dressing room and the saxophonist Leroy Moore walked by and he was like, man, he was like, you sound like you like jazz. And I was like, I love jazz. And he, you know, he's like, man, come meet Carter. Carter's father was a trumpet player. And, you know, we just all kind of started talking shop and, you know, he was like, man, let me get your number. Let's stay in touch, blah, 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 blah. So for the next two years, whenever they came through New York City, we'd just go to dinner. They just invite me to dinner and we, you know, we never really, I mean, we talk about music, but it was just kind of like, you know, these guys were some of the biggest rock stars, you know, and I was just like, they don't want to talk about music. So, you know, you talk to them about other things. And I think that's kind of what they appreciated most about me. They were just like, man, it's just like, he's not like talking out of their mouth about the gig. You know, we talked about other interests and, you know, sports and all that stuff. So, you know, with that, you know, I was on a tour with Soul Alive and the tour actually ended in Boston and I get a call from Leroy and he's like, hey man, you know, we're doing these four nights of Red Rocks. At that point it was three because it was kind of like the Katrina thing was happening and it had just happened. And it was like, we're going to add a fourth night. We want to know, the guys want to know if you want to come out and play. So we went, you know, they flew me out from Boston to Denver and car picks me up, pulls right up backstage and the monitor engineer at that point had boom boxes with a CD in it. And he was like, so this is the first song and they want you on it. So you got about an hour to learn it. So, you know, that was, you know, and, and the rest, as they say, is history. I guess I did pretty well. So it's just, you know, just one of those things where it's just like, I think the relationships you know, yes, you have to be prepared and, you know, all the musical things that comes with it. Yes, you have to be prepared. You have to have good ears, be a good reader, you know, all those things. But also with a band that diverse, you also had to have like stuff stylistically intact in terms of, you know, between the country and the funk and the swampy rock and roll and you like the singer songwriter stuff you have you have to have all those sensibilities and me coming in as a another horn player couldn't you know i had to have all those sensibilities to match what Leroy was doing and you know the thing was you know dave dug it carter dug it stefan like every the whole band just dug it they were just like man we like that sound and now Leroy has more stuff to do so it kind of turned into a section and you know, long story short, that's how that all happened. So I, I remember that. I remember that, Rashawn. I think you you came into Sam Ash right before that happened. I had the, the shop in that back little room. Yep. I think that was right right you were you were in for something right before you were going out for that trip. Yep. That was yeah. good times back then. Oh, that's a, that's an amazing that's an amazing story. I I I, I remember you know that like it was yesterday you you doing that Rashawn, what's going, what's going what's going through your head in that car ride from the airport to the to the venue you know what 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 what's what what are you thinking about when you're rolling up there i really didn't think much about it because they were kind of like my friends it wasn't like oh my god i'm about to go do this thing and i'm it wasn't really like that for mm -hmm. me so i like the starstruck stuff like I, i've never been a starstruck kind of person okay. So it was just kind of like, I looked at those guys like, damn, they got a gig and people are, 
you know, well, just so happens that 13 to 40,000 people show up to their gigs. Yeah. You know, I'm used to playing in bands where there are more people in the band than in the audience. And so <laughs> at that point, like, I'm just kind of like, okay, well, this is great. But the one thing that I was confident in is that I could do that because I've done it all my life. Like, I grew up playing in reggae bands, calypso bands, top 40 bands, like, so all the stylistic stuff, like, I had no problem dealing with any of that. And the, the versatility thing just was second nature to me because I grew up in the Virgin Islands. And that's just what we did. It wasn't like music was music. It wasn't like, oh, those are the jazz cats over there. And those are the funk cats. And those are the, you know, it was like, everybody played everything. And my ears were like impeccable. So I, I learned stuff like that, you know, being in Lettuce and Soul Live, you know, I spent a lot of years with uh, Ryan Zoidis playing saxophone and we would come up with arrangements like literally right before, you know, because Soul Live started as a trio. And when we were the horn section, Ryan and I, we had to retrofit a lot of these songs with like horn arrangements. So we would just stay in the, in the dressing room and come up with arrangements quickly so that like i've done that all my life so it wasn't a thing for me it was like oh my god am i gonna mess this up am i gonna mess? like it wasn't like that at all like, they were just like oh i'm just gonna go sit in with some of my friends and then shortly after they were just like okay there's another gig you want to come do this gig and it was like another gig and i was like okay all right i'll come do the gig no problem <laughs> and then finally they were just like all right you know the business manager is going to call you, you know, talk some business, figure it out, and we want you to join the band. For those of you, know, you were a Berkeley, Berkeley guy back in the day. Mm -hmm. um, was that something that ever kind of crossed your you know, thought process is, you know, maybe I'll end up doing something like this? Or did that come as a surprise to you? Or is it just, you know, a happy circumstance? Or was that something that you were like, you know, that'd be kind of a cool thing to do eventually, maybe? Man, shoot. I'm still like in disbelief 18 years later. Like, I'm like, I, I can't believe I get to do it for a living. That's you awesome. know? And it's just like, I live in this weird space between like the reality of what I do and like what I think I do in my head, because it's just like, I don't deal with the extras of that gig very well. Mm -hmm. Like, I see myself as just like a, like, I just play the trumpet. I just mm -hmm. love to play music. It is what it is. And then like, you know, you're on the road and then you're trying to eat and people are just like interrupting your meal. And it's like, can I get a picture? And I'm just like, man, I'm just trying to hang out with my friends and my family. Like, so like in my mind, I'm like, I'm still trying to get used to the, like, you can't go and just be and do that anymore like just have your time you know so it's like i'm just in it's such a weird headspace for me one time like there's this lady that like i was just sitting in a bar by myself and she was just like well you're very bold and i'm just like what are you talking about just sitting here having a drink <laughs> she's like you really don't understand like how big of a deal like your band is do you and i'm just like at that point i'm just like no i'm just like i'm just a dude and then you know and i'm just this very introverted person so i'm just like it's this thing that like keeps 
I, I don't know if I'll ever get used to it. But for me, like my goal was like, I mean, I looked up to Roy Hargrove and Nicholas Payton. That was what I wanted to do mm-hmm. for the rest of my life. I want to go play, have my own jazz quartet or quintet or whatever jazz thing I'm doing. Never in a million years that I think I'd be playing music for 15,000 people and being on covers of magazines. Like none of that was anywhere on my radar at all. It's like, I'm just like, I'm just a kid from the Virgin Islands. I mean, I don't, I'd never expected any of this. So I don't know if I'll ever get used to it. Speaking of headspace for Sean, how do you, when you're, when you're getting ready to go on tour, like you're doing a pretty rigorous tour when you guys are out, how do you prepare musically, mentally, logistically to go out on the road and have such a demanding schedule for, you know, months on end? Um, how do, how do you get into that? What's the preparation kind of headspace for that? I don't really think there is a preparation for it because I mean, like I always say, everything I do outside of Dave Matthews band is like a vacation. Like everything I do and it's just like, I'm happy and I'm blessed to be able to just pick and choose the things that I want to do at this point. But it's just like Dave Matthews band is such like you see, it is, is a rigorous, rigorous gig i mean we're like by the end of the tour we're like a football team everybody has injuries yeah it's it's just the nature of what we do you know we got 40 gigs a summer you know they they average about between two two and a half to three hours per show and it's it's a lot of playing and i'm just kind of like man like i've played in funk bands a lot between Soul Live and Lettuce and doing all the pop stuff that I do. And still, like, nothing really prepares me for the road with Dave Matthews Band other than getting through the first week or two of the tour. It's it's almost like training camp versus actually, like, game speed. It's like nothing replicates game speed. So... You know, even if I'm coming off of doing other things before I go on the road with Dave Matthews, man, it's just like, oh, you know, at the end of the night, I'm like, oh, that's right. My feet hurt from standing this long. <laughs> or it's just like, oh, right. I don't, like, I have to think in, in terms of trumpet, it's like, oh, I also have to play long extended solos after I play all these really high screaming parts right like and with every other gig i'm in one mode or the other with dave matthews man it's just kind of like everything thrown at you all at once and you got to be able to switch on a dime like that and the physicality of it and the travel and it's like nothing really nothing really compares or, or helps me prepare for that other than just jumping in because i mean i pretty much stay in good trumpet shape because i do so many other things outside of it but um i think like the road shops like the road shops go away because i get used 
used to playing in these really controlled situations. I'm not really battling the elements, you know, so I just have to build up the road chops and that's the only thing that really prepares me. Do you, for, do you have a different, do you have a different routines that you do for practicing and warming up when you're, when you're on the road and, and fitting that into your schedule with, you know, a regular travel schedule and time changes? Are you doing a different thing when you're, when you're traveling? Nah, I just, I just kind of keep it consistent to what our road schedule is. I mean, we get a day sheet. I know what time we leave. I know once we get to the venue around three 30 in the afternoon, if we rehearse, rehearsals at 4.30, so I know I have that hour to get myself together. But I'm not getting up in the morning and doing a routine and then going to the gig, Then because I'm just like, and I used to do that, and then I got together with John Faddis, and he was like, man, you're doing a gig before you do the gig. He's like, <laughs> warm-up is supposed to be warm-up. It's just supposed to get things working. Yeah. Like, you're beating your... Like, he's like, at some point, you're going to get diminishing returns because you're just beating your face up. It's like, you can't... Pre I mean, of course, I know people that do, mm. and they're crazy for that, but they also don't do what I do. Mm. So it's just, you know, it, it, it all depends on you know, what you're doing. So, but for me, it's just kind of like, I have this wide spectrum of things that I have to do. And, you know, I think beating my face up is just probably not going to benefit me come yeah. big time. So I just, you know. When it comes to stuff off the horn though, is there is there stuff that you do, you know, when you get up or you, um, is there like a, a gym routine or something like that that keep, kind of keeps you in the right rhythm and, and the right schedule yeah yeah i mean definitely i mean you know sometimes we could have a rehearsal a bad rehearsal in the hotel gym because it's you know we just kind of have to get the blood flowing man you know most of us are in the gym i'm i'm in the early bird crew so it's usually myself and like our head of security and maybe our tour manager and then like you know if i get lazy and i go later in the day then maybe dave and buddy and you know a couple other guys would be in there but like i'm like like early morning like no matter what time i get to bed like by 6 37 a.m i am up because i mean the road is not just music but you got so many other things going on as well you know, business-wise, family-wise, other things that you have to deal with. So, like, my gym routine is just get up, get in there early, get a sweat going, and then tackle the day as it comes. Nice. When stuff comes up, you know, like uh, unexpected challenges and that sort of stuff, how do you, how do you keep yourself from letting that kind of get a, get under your skin and you know, bring you down a little bit. I mean, is there, is there something you, is there a mindset that you keep yourself in? Well, I mean, I mean, I've been doing this for so long now that it's one of those things where like, I know where the problem spots are going to be on the tour, <clears throat> you know, barring, you know, going down South and it being, you know, the humidity is just unbearable and the mouthpiece is, slipping all over the place you can't grip it's you know there are all these different things you know i'm kind of used to that 
the one thing that kills me is like I know when I see Denver on the schedule, I'm just like, oh. <laughs> anything with altitude, Denver, Lake Tahoe, and then the Gorge is one of my absolute like least favorite because like I know something's gonna like every year for the last seventeen or eighteen years, every year Gorge, wow. something mm-hmm. happens bloody lips my lips split it hurts like like and there's nothing you could do and it's just like people that paid their money to come out there the weekend they don't care about your little boo-boo on your lip they don't they don't care you know so it's just kind of like i just take that approach to it it's just like like i said nfl team everybody's injured but we go out there and we just got to do it you know we just have to so I really don't let it get me down. It's just like, it's just one of those things. Sometimes you just have to power through. And, and that's just kind of one, one, one of the things that, you know, Leroy has always taught me. He's just like, man, these people don't care. They don't, they don't really care what you have going on, you know. And on one hand, I'm just kind of like, well, that's kind of messed up. But, and he was like, yeah, but. You know, if you pay your money to go see something or you pay for a service, you don't want any excuses. And I was just like, perfect. Mm-hmm. Say no more. I'm good. So that's just how I deal with it, man. You know, so it, it kind of makes me laugh when I get around people. Like, all they do is just like, just complain about how nothing is working and like my chops don't. I'm just like, man, just what you can't yeah. do that's yeah. just like i don't like i don't want to hear it like, i don't want to hear how many other things you've got going like i don't like you come to do a job do a job and that's that's how i approach it yeah point blank so so touching on that rashawn and, and you had you had mentioned earlier you know you're talking about relationship building and professionalism and, and part of the job and networking with musicians like i often see on some of your facebook posts and stuff you know somebody approaches you about you know oh i've got so many gigs or i'm not getting gigs or or what do i do how how important is it to people for that for that professionalism and networking within the community to what people do and what the gig is and what you do i haven't quite cracked the code yet but I'm realizing once you get to a certain place in this industry, it no longer becomes about the musicians. It's just like, I mean, I've known that for a while, you know, so many times, so often people are just kind of like, I just need to impress this person or that person or like, I, you know, like I, I, I need to play my best to impress whatever musician or whatever, you know, I'm just kind of like, sometimes I would walk into a jam session and like every trumpet player is just like, okay, now we're on 10 because it's kind of like a catch 22. Yes. You want to be your best. Yes. You always want to play your best, but if what you're trying to do is get more gigs, great. If what you're trying to do is craft a career, completely different story. There are things and there are people and there are networking things that you have to do that, you know, it's, 
it's such a different thing. And I never really understood that. Like I said, like the, the only reason why like I'm where I'm at, you know, in the Dave Matthews band is because I didn't talk to them about music. I didn't talk to them about, oh, your set list or what about this song and these, this lyric and what does this mean? Or like, that's the, that's the very last thing those guys want to hear. Yeah. For, so basically exactly what we're doing right now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so this is the forum for that. This is the forum for that. But it's just kind of like, you know, it's just like, I don't like, I just never talk to them about that. Once we get like, you know, if they brought it up and they're just like, oh, did you check out this album? Or, or like we often we share each other, you know, we often share music with, with each other and be like, man, you know, check this album out. And we would discuss stuff like that. But I guess the path to, you know, getting to where you want to go in terms of networking is like being the guy that people can hang out with and want to hang out with for the 22 hours that you're not on stage yeah. and like being on the road for as long as I have, like, I absolutely understand what they were talking about yeah. because it's just kind of like you only spend those two hours or three hours on the stage. The rest of the time you have to deal with the person, not the musician. Yeah. And if you're a drag to be around, it's just like, you know, it's, you're not going to get a lot of recommendations because like, I trust me, I recommend people for stuff all the time. Mm -hmm. So when somebody says, Hey, do you know, uh, whatever, do you know, a drummer, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like, what's the gig? Like, you know, what does it entail? It's great. And it's just like, and they're just like, well, it's this, whatever it is. And it's just like, but the first thing they're going to ask is like, are they cool? And a lot of musicians get upset when they're just like, well, I play better than that guy and he gets more gigs. And it's just like probably a reason why, because it's just like, I've seen, like I'm around a lot of musical directors and I see how they make decisions. And a lot of musical directors will quicker hire the team player than the virtuoso. I, I know a lot of virtuosos that are unemployed mm -hmm. or not as employed as they want to be, you know? Yeah. And I get it. Like, you know, so I can rattle off a few examples of virtuosos. It's just like Jimi Hendrix played with Ike and Tina Turner, Little Richard, like that didn't work out, but he was Jimi Hendrix. So, you know, he just had that thing. He wanted to do his own thing and whatever he was doing behind them wasn't working. So it just didn't work. And that's fine. Like if you're that guy, then go be that guy. That's fine. Mm -hmm. But then you can't complain when it's not working out when you're playing other people's music. So it's just like, it's just one of those things where you have to be able to balance or you have to find another outlet where you can do what you want to do and be able to do what the gig entails and make your money because it's just like 
I was, <laughs> it's just funny. I was talking to Ron Blake, you know, and he's been my mentor since I was like in high school. And, you know, he's been in SNL now for, good Lord, I'm only maybe about 13, 14, 15 years now. Ron, Ron, Ron is an awesome human being. Yeah. That's I, Ron, Ron is, Ron is incredible. I, I that's really my man. Yeah. But, you know, he was just kind of like, and Ron, you know, played with Roy Hargrove, you know, I mean, that's, you know, that was like our big star coming home because, you know, we were in high school and we listened to these Roy Hargrove albums and then here comes Ron Blake into our classroom. I was just like, wow, you just got off the road with Roy Hargrove. And, you know, he got the SNL gig and he was just kind of like, man, you know, I love playing jazz, but he was just like, it's nice to have an SNL to supplement or, or, or to, you know, facilitate me doing creatively what I want to do, you know? So it's, it's just one of those things. Like I'm lucky to, to have a Dave Matthews event where like all of that is covered. Like, I don't have to worry about, you know, the working aspect of it. But also the music doesn't bore me because there's so many things and so many challenges because of the way we write music and all the different influences that we bring as a band. But, you know, there's just these things where you, you absolutely have to, I guess, figure out what your creative outlet is and figure out where your money is going to come from. Mm -hmm. So, and I, I think that is not talked about enough. Well, at least in musician circles. And I'm just kind of like, you know, I see guys, I see how musical directors pick people. They're not picking the guy that is the best player. They're picking the guy that's going to play the part and it's going to be easy to work with and is going to be able to take control constructive criticism and not be about, you know, me, 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 and don't you know who I am and look at my resume. So that's just that's the way it goes. That's a, that's, yeah, that's a lot. Uh, I mean, and, and it, it's actually a, kind of a, a good segue into, uh, I think we shift to the next topic here, which is kind of, you know, the future of the music industry, where it's heading. I mean, you've been out, I mean, doing this for, for, you know, a bunch of years now, what, what are some of the changes you've seen in how things are kind of run or how it's presented uh, since you joined the band or, or since you've been you know, doing a lot of touring? You know, when I joined the band, it was CDs and now everything is streaming. I mean, mm -hmm. that's the glaring mm -hmm. thing. And then of course, you know, when it was CDs, people got paid for their, compositions and you know, songwriters got paid producers got paid like everybody like there was a piece of the pie mm -hmm. for everyone and now it's just like streaming is, has just decimated that i remember when i first joined the band like you know a few years there we're still selling cds and stuff like that but then it went into the streaming and spotify you know took off and i remember a bunch of R&B artists and pop artists coming over to be with our management because they were they just couldn't understand how we were 
making the money or grossing the money that we were grossing. But the thing was, you know, grossing the money we were grossing even after the industry was shifting streaming because, you know, when I first joined the band, you could sell 5 million albums and do a quick promo tour and you were good for the year. Mm-hmm. You know, so a lot of R&B artists, that's exactly what they did. It was like, I don't really want to go on tour for two years. I could drop my album, sell four, five, six million, make my writing money, get my royalties. And, you know, I'll yeah. do a few shows and that was it. Mm-hmm. Whereas our thing has always been, we were always road warriors. Yep. So nothing ever changed for us. So they were just like, well, how is that band who doesn't have like massive radio hits? Like, how are they making that kind of money? And it was just that, it was just a model that had just never changed. And fortunately we're a band that likes to work. So, Mm. you know, so that was one way like the music industry has changed. I mean, what's happening now is, I mean, to the point where you know, streaming has completely decimated income for songwriters. You know, if you're not like writing massive hits for the biggest artists in the world, you're not really making anything. And a lot of my friends who are songwriters are driving Ubers and delivering, you know, and I I mean, people that like wrote massive hits right before everything changed. And now that everything has changed, it's just, radio silence in terms of an income but you know now the new thing is it's just kind of like artists are selling their catalogs which i think is sad yeah that's that's really that you see that in the news a lot man yeah that's so sad it's, oh. another pop star just sold hers and i'm just like oh man like so some of the biggest songs in the world, some of the biggest hits in the world are just going to be owned by some publisher fronted by a bunch of bankers. And, and like, you know, more power to them. If that's what you want to do, that's what you want to do. It's your composition. You do whatever you want with it and your catalog. But I'm just like, man, like everything is just becoming so corporate. Like the song, like all these things that like your blood, sweat, and tears are just now going to be owned by some arbitrary guy sitting on it. I don't know. It's, it's just, but they're well within their right to do that. And I'm just like, man, but that's just to show where things are now. It's like, they're just saying, well, we're not going to get any money, you know, coming in, in terms of royalties, like, royalty payments have gone way down because everybody's streaming nobody's really buying a physical product Mm -hmm. so they're just like well i could just take what i've worked for you know my entire life and just sell it and just get a windfall and can't blame people for doing that but i just think it's really sad when you just think about how many iconic artists have already done it and now it's just trickling trickling down to people who whose careers who still have so much career in front of them and they're just like, okay, here, if you just give me $200 million, I'll give you everything that I've ever written. <laughs> and just like, really? Oh, that's, oh. But, you know, more power to them. 
do you find do you find that's changed a little bit too with like the the other work that you do on the side um because i know you do a lot of recording stuff mm-hmm. and you do some big band and jazz have you have you noticed a change in that with people doing less doing less projects because of the revenue streams not being there because of streaming and not selling records well yeah absolutely because you know unless it's an artist that does that kind of thing like i mean let's take for instance a michael buble you know that's his thing so he is going to invest in that plus he can absolutely afford to pay for his own production but like you know what about another artist that's younger and upcoming and you know labels aren't really interested in developing artists anymore so the last thing they want to do is get a young artist out of wherever they're from put time and money into them try to develop them put them with the best people like you know they don't want to do that anymore like the first thing they're asking you like what are your social media numbers how many followers do you have it ain't it's not about how good your songs are it's just like oh she's cute okay that's great okay let's see what our social media and that those metrics determine whether artists get signed now it's not you know talent or mentorship or any of that it's you know it's all about the metrics and you know how can we spend the least money on you know so somebody that's singing jazz right now that wants to do a big band album and they're just coming up it's just kind of like they're gonna have a harder time because the revenue stream is like what and of course you say jazz to a record label they're just like okay <laughs> like bad word bad word yeah bad yeah. word bad word well bad you know we're sean on that topic i mean you know uh danny falcone put up something the other week or about the uh the lady gaga residency that you guys are doing mm-hmm. out in vegas about she's you know the top grossing music act out there right now um do you see that as kind of a a shot in the arm for the in for the you know the the four letter word that is jazz or do you see that as just kind of a absolutely a fluke absolutely not. Okay. that's a one off you like okay. you got to think about how many people are actually doing that on that scale okay her and michael buble yeah that's it yeah, there's nobody else and she, she's just doing it because it was something that she loved doing you know from the time she was you know young but she had to become a massive global pop star to pull that off mm-hmm. you know what i'm saying and so it's just like she already had the star power coming in the door mm-hmm. so yeah sure you know oh sure yeah it's jazz it's big bad stuff but she had to be Lady Gaga to pull that off. They put somebody else as the the front yeah. person of that. And that's what I'm yeah. saying. And it's not it's not selling, you know. It's not, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Sometimes it's the messenger, you know. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. just how the business is. So, you know, she had to be a massive global pop star to say, you know what, I'm going to sing jazz in Vegas, and still 
pack the house. I mean, every single seat is yeah. just gone, you know, but she had to be who she was before that. And then, you know, luckily she has such respect and reverence for the music because she's loved it as a, you know, as a, as a kid. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she had the respect and reverence for Tony Bennett, God rest his soul. Mm -hmm. And for Tony to just say, you know what, you're a jazz singer. I want to do a record with you, <laughs> you know? So thank goodness that she was open to that. And it was just like, absolutely. I would do that. And, you know, I'm glad because it's just like, it's such a beautiful art form. Mm -hmm. that just doesn't get a lot of traction. And I kind of feel like, you know, between her and Bublé, if she chooses to do it more, mm -hmm. I think it's a good thing. And, you know, it kind of breaks up the monotony, so to speak, a little bit from, you know, all the, the, the pop star stuff, not her, but just in general, it's just like, wow, well, you know, jazz can be played on that scale. And like looking at her and Bublé, I'm just like, yes, that's amazing. It's good to see musicians working and it's great because usually you go on you know you go see a pop show big stadium tours it's like four guys and everything is in the box you know it's all pre-records you know so it's great to see live musicians up on a stage like really playing their instruments behind somebody yeah. you know it's great do you think you guys are going to be breaking out the tuxes on the fronts of dave matthews band anytime soon hell no <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, <laughs> that would be hilarious. <laughs> so, yeah. So, while that brings us to it, um, since Steve asked a fun question there, I got some questions that have come in okay. uh, while we've been going on the live, and some other questions. Some stuff we've touched off on a little bit here, um, but our our first one comes from uh, Joshua Jeffries um, on Facebook, and he said he was very excited for this one. Um, he was curious on your thoughts on this one, Rashawn. Uh, he says, recently you did a post about being on tour, which you mentioned, and uh, he said it was beat up football team closing out the season. So he's curious how he, he heard some stuff here, how the demands are recovering. But he really wants to know is how do you approach playing on tired, beat up, or injured chops? I really do. I mean, I throw some CBD on it and just bear it, man. You know, it's just, and I think, who was my man? One of the Bill Adam guys. Oh my God. What is his name? It's not Carl Seavers. It's the other guy. He just played. Oh, oh, I can't remember his name. But he told me he was like baby aura gel. He's like, when that happens, mm. baby aura gel because it numbs it enough. It numbs it so you don't really feel the pain. And I tried that. And yes. That absolutely works. So like all of wow. that stuff with the split lip and the baby gel absolutely numbs it and I could play it. I didn't feel the stinging. So wow. Yes. Do you, do you keep that in your case? I do now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He just like, he had just told me that like after he saw the picture, he was like, Oh, baby gel. He was like, hands down. And so I got, you know, production to send a runner out and grab me some baby gel. <laughs> got me through the weekend baby so yes nice awesome okay good 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 to know um we have another one here from uh, a great trumpet player i also know i think you might know uh, morris northcutt 
Um, as sorry if the, yeah, Morris is great. Um, I love his videos. Um, great player. Morris, uh, thanks if you're still around. Um, uh, he says, sorry if this was already asked, what are your three top fundamentals you maintain while on the road? Three top fundamentals. I would have to say, uh, lip slurs would have to be like, I guess, long tones, lip slurs. And I mean, once my road shops kick in, I'm not really worried about endurance too much, but I think like articulation. So just making sure that, you know, the, the sound is responding the way I want it to and that I stay flexible because of the wide array of things that I have to do stylistically, like if I get too tight from doing all the up high stuff and I have to do all this other lyrical stuff and it gets too tight, like it just throws everything out of whack. So it's like, I think flexibility and the response and sound would be my top two. And then next would come articulation. I grabbed a couple from the, uh, from the chat as we were going here. Somebody wanted to know how far in advance do you get uh, additional Tory dates? So if they add some, add some length to your tour, how far ahead do you, do you know about that sort of stuff when it comes down? Man, I really don't pay attention to like, it. <laughs> it's, it's like, I got the email the other day when they were just like, oh, by the way, we're announcing Europe tomorrow. I was like, we're doing Europe? <laughs> I was like, oh, that's right. Yeah, so I like, man, I just have so much going on. Like, I really don't hang on every like if it's an important thing like i'll get something from management that says hey take a look at this but i'm not like so i i don't i mean usually summer like when they start routing that's when promoters and, and age booking agents are doing their thing and sometimes they'd send us a list and be like okay so here's what we're looking at we're looking at this block of time and that's all i I really care about just so I know how to book my stuff around it but I don't you know maybe a couple months ahead of time okay yeah. but I don't really pay attention to it until they say until I get the official thing from management saying okay here are the tour dates we're announcing them tomorrow the other one and maybe this is a good one to kind of start wrapping up on is uh uh what's in the what's in your red solo cup backstage water all right. Yeah, I'm definitely not definitely not drinking alcohol before the kid. No. Yeah, or 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 getting uh, drunk because you got to get up in the morning and travel. And, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. No. Yeah. yeah, that's a you know we save the save save the adult beverages for after the gig. Yep. Or on the plane. Yeah, have a couple fall right to sleep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, hey, Rashawn, is there is there any advice? I know you've given us some some really great advice, but if if there's one piece of advice that you would like to give everybody out there listening today, um, what would it be? Everybody out there listening, oh boy, let's see. Well, I guess you know what I said earlier. It's you know it's really about how you treat people i'm guessing like in the context of you know doing this professionally you know we all want to strive
I have to be virtuoso. It was like, shoot, I want to play like Sean Jones. I, I would love to. <laughs> I would love to play the trumpet like that. You know, it's just like, but I'm not him. It's just like, you know, be yourself. Everybody else is taken. You know what I'm saying? It's just like, do you, and you know, treat people the way you want to be treated. You know, it just kind of goes back to the thing that we were talking about earlier. It's just like, you know, I saw something on that, you know, on the script where it said, you know, you know, talk about, you know, how do you deal with conflicts with people on the road and blah 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 stuff like that. I don't really have conflicts on the road with anyone, man. It's just like I've been. 18 plus years in this band, I've maybe had one or two conflicts. And it was just, you know, a lot of things that were just misunderstood. And, you know, you get in a room and you talk to people as a man or a woman, you know, you talk as adults and be like, okay, here, like, this is what I think. And, you know, you nip it in the bud, but it's just like, trying not to be passive aggressive and just really be assertive but treat people the way you want to be treated it's just like we're all on the road you know trying to entertain people and i think everyone from our truck drivers to the bus drivers to our catering and our head chef and like all these people our ticketing manager our tour manager our security people like production manager lights audio like all these people you know like depend on what we do for their living you know and we all like you know we got 90 people out there with us so wow it's it's a fairly large production so it's just one of those things you know yes you're going to have personalities yes you're going to have all these different things but you know, I think, you know, focusing on the task at hand, what's the bigger picture? What are we here to do? Don't let your ego get in the way of that is a good way, you know, rule of thumb to just kind of wrap everything up and, and approach a situation. It's like, why am I here? What am I here to do? How can I make this run smoothly? You know, and that's kind of how I I, I I look at everything, no matter whether it's Dave Matthews Band or, you know, the Gaga situation or, or whatever else I do. It's just like, you know, I've had a bunch of people ask, ask me, they're just like, well, you kind of go from being like a member of the Dave Matthews Band to being like a nobody in somebody else's situation. And I'm just kind of like, I love that. <laughs> First of all, like, it's just how I grew up anyway, because my mother, like, always brings me down a peg. She's like, you're getting a little too big for your britches, just <laughs> down. So, so it's like, you know, so, like, I hear my mom and my grandma in my head, and it's just kind of like, yeah, okay, great. My day job is one situation where I'm just kind of like, okay, I'm going to look that as whatever that is. And then I go into a situation like Lady Gaga where nobody gives a damn what I do yeah, or whatever else I go into. And I don't go in there with the don't you know who I am kind of attitude. I mean, it's like I'm, I just came here to play music. 
that's all I want to do. And it's just like, I've definitely seen people like struggle with that. And I'm just kind of like, man, you just, you know, Hey, we know that you're big shot over there, but like, this is a whole other production. And, you know, there are other people that would happily be here if you don't want to do it. So, yeah, you know, that's just kind of how I just like, I, I just love the best of both worlds kind of thing. It's just like, it's great. And that's awesome where I'm, you know, and Dave Matthews band, it's just kind of like, okay, I could do whatever. And then over here, it's just kind of like, all right, well, you're just whatever. And I'm just like, and I'm fine with it. Like, I don't care. Do I get to play music? Yes. Perfect. Do I get to play with musicians that I respect and get to be a part of something that's amazing? That's all I care about. Like, man, that's awesome. Good for me. So just approach things like that treat everybody with respect and, you know, just try to figure out where you fit in, in the grand scheme of things and how to make whatever it is you're doing better. And that's how you should approach everything, whether it's the biggest thing or you're playing for, you know, three people that are sitting at a cocktail lounge that aren't really listening to you. Like you treat everything the same. Good advice, man. And I just have to say that section for Gaga, that's not a, Hey, you know, don't you know who I am? That's that section's like, Hey, I know who you are. That's actually yeah, everybody, 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 yeah. everybody. Oh my God. Yeah. It's just like, Oof. it's good Lord. Those yeah. guys are, yeah. I'm just happy to be a part of it. Those guys are amazing. I'm just glad I get to witness it night after night, man. Uh, we could, we could go on for hours here, but, uh, it's a, it's, a, it's a good stopping point, I think. And um, thanks everybody for for tuning in to this month's episode. And then you know, thanks Rashawn for for joining us. It's been awesome getting the getting to chat with you and share some share some stories and some get some new wisdom here. Uh, I've been taking notes here. So yeah, and Rashawn, again, thank you very much. I, I know we could have talked for hours. We didn't even touch on equipment or, or a lot of things we could have talked about. But you know, thank you very much. Um, as Steve said, everybody, thank you so, so much for turning in. Please don't for, for, forget to subscribe to our socials uh, at virtuosity underscore Boston, at Landers Brass, and uh, Rashawn's uh, at vi underscore Shawnee Ross. Uh, Rashawn put some great food content on there. No, we didn't uh, even get it to didn't even uh, get into yeah. your cooking man yeah. tonight. Like, oh, I love, yeah, I love man, your food toast, man. I like roast chicken today too. It was great. Oh. Oh man, yeah, I love I love seeing that stuff, man. I like, yeah, food as you know, I, I love it. But thank you so much, everybody. Uh, Rashawn, this was really exciting. Thank you, uh, Steve. Thank you, um, and we'll see you guys next time for uh, next episode of Long Tones. Thanks so much. Have Thanks, everybody.